Hello, I'm Chris Hudson and welcome to FIS's Freight and Commodity Podcast on Wednesday the 15th of June. This week on the podcast, we are taking a look at the freight, oil and ferrous markets, but also delving a little deeper into the current situation in global oil markets to look at the numbers behind the current market conditions. But first, the news, followed by a look at the main indexes week on week. Well, the national average price of diesel hit a fresh peak of $5.72 a gallon this week in the US, up 75% over the past year, according to data released on Monday by the US Energy Information Administration. The ECB has called an unscheduled meeting to discuss surging borrowing costs in the currently fragile Eurozone, which comes shortly after their council meeting last week that peaked hopes of announcements to help stave off another debt crisis. And BP has made a huge renewable energy acquisition, taking a $30 billion stake in a solar, wind and green hydrogen project in Western Australia, a 6,500 square kilometre scheme that aims to generate the equivalent to a third of Australia's energy capacity. But what has been the week-on-week on indexes? The changes that we have seen from Tuesday the 7th of June to yesterday, Tuesday the 14th. Well, on the freight we are down across the board. Cape 5TC is down 2,990 or 13.5%, closing yesterday at 19,138. On the Panamax 4TC, that's also down lesser extent, uh, but down 1,682 or 7%, closing 22,321. And on the Supermax 10TC, that's down 1,985, down 6.9%, or ending 26,963. On the iron ore, 62%, that's come off. And no doubt there that that is because of concerns, what's happening in the China situation after all the optimism of relaxing restrictions. We are now closing down $13.05 or 8.9%, 134.20. On crude, we've popped up. We were 120.34, now 124.58, up $4.24. And on the Sing.5, there's no surprise there that that has also popped up. If you're looking at the index rather than the front future here, the index is over a thousand here. Looking at the front future there, 948.05, closing on the FIS report last night. Significant movement up there. And of course, that 1,000 barrier has been breached on the index. On the tankers, uh, hardly any movement on the VLCCs, the very large crude carriers. Uh, That is closing 44.95 world scale. Uh, But on the product carriers, the TC2, TC5, they have seen a movement up. Significant movement up. Uh, We were 325.28 on TC2, now 390.56. And on TC5, that's uh, Arab Gulf to Japan, we are seeing 230.71 world scale last week. Now 345.71. On the steels, we were $944. This is Northwest European steel. Uh, We now dropped below the $900 mark, 899.75, closing on the index. And on the EUAs, we are a slow movement up again. It was €81.31 and is now closing yesterday at 84 15. Dry freight market indexes have been a sea of red over the past week, with it not being immune to the many of the concerns about the world economy. I asked Kerry Deal, our head of business development, who is now back from his travels in the United States, what has been causing this movement down in markets and will it last? Yeah, Chris, well, it's good to be back. I was very sorry to miss the 100th episode last week. I think I've been on pretty much every one, save that one. Um, But regrettably, um, my speaking skills were needed elsewhere last week, apparently. Um, But yeah, on the dry freight market, last week activity was both subdued and with many market participants attending Posidonia down in Greece, uh, very quiet across the basins in Cape Size and Panamax. Negative macro headwinds were really rocking sentiment, as you mentioned. The threat of recession in both the US and Europe seemed to grow, 
While rising COVID cases in China renewed the threat of lockdowns, put a pause on any major reopening in China. Ironically, in the Pacific, the cargo supply for capes looked all right last week, with Australian iron ore shipments jumping to 20.7 million tons last week, reaching the upper range of seasonal levels, which has nicely mirrored hopes of a return to normality for that Chinese steel production. However, despite having been the main support on the capes for a number of weeks, rates in the Pacific finally softened. This was because more tonnage was piling up, triggered by higher bunker rates, making owners think twice about ballasting their ships to the Atlantic. In the early part of the week, we did see Brazilian miners return to the market for second half July stems, particularly yesterday. That has kept that C3 rate above $31. It's worth noting, however, that rising bunker prices continue to support those voyage rates while squeezing the time charter equivalents with the C14, that is the TC equivalent to the C3, hovering around $13,600 per day. Not ideal. The green shoots in the early part of this week have helped support that Cape paper market, which has been relatively range-bound for the last few sessions after the losses seen early last week. The July Cape 5 TC paper never really did stay too long below $30,000, and this morning is valued at $30,375 on FIS Live. Q4, which had always held up far better than the nearby contracts, was trading at $32K this morning. It seems clear, based on the support we're seeing for these paper rates, especially on that back end, Chris, that... The market consensus continues to be fundamentals aren't that bad, but that macro sentiment is keeping a lid on things for now. Panamaxes were also impacted by holidays across both Asia and Europe and the many participants who were at the Posidonia event. As a result, both basins were quieter than normal, uh, with coal shipments out of Australia and Indonesia both coming off their recent highs. In terms of fixtures, demand was lacking in the North Atlantic, which dragged down that overall TC average last week, in spite of improving demand on the P6 route. On the grains, most of the stems were from East Coast South America for early July dates, while very few fixtures were reported from U.S. Gulf and North Coast South America, with a growing tonnage list building there. Cargos from East Coast South America, redelivery Singapore, Japan, were fixed from 27,000 to 27,500 last week in the East the key Indo to India coal route fluctuated from 19 to 22,000 last week for mid-June loadings. This despite over 60% of the coal shipments still being carried by capes, uh, which to me is actually a slightly bullish sign. In contrast, activities out of Australia were very thin last week. Uh, things began to look up again yesterday, however, with Panamaxes, like the big ships, seeing a turn for the better on the index across all basins. The paper has benefited in the past few days from this talk of a floor. And the July Panamax 4TC, which had never really gone far below $25,000, trading this morning at 26125 Q4 trading at 23950 And to kind of take the theme of a lot of this podcast, which is really focused uh, around oil, it must be a significant concern to ship owners and the like having such high bunker prices that sing 0.5% index has been over a thousand now. Exactly, exactly. Back to over a thousand for the first time in what, three months? More than three months. So um, that's going to be causing real pain. As I said, all you have to do is look at the TC equivalents of those voyage rates on the capes and they are not really where we'd like to see them, are we? And then, I mean, and then let alone looking at some of the bank's predictions, others of future oil prices that this is actually crude could be pushing to 150 and the impact that's going to have uh, for bunker prices that's going to cause a lot of pain that's going to cause a lot of pain um you know as we keep saying the the fundamentals of the dry bulk market in particular are not that bad you know fleet growth is very very limited 
at the moment. Um, you know, tonnage continues to be overall, relatively speaking, tight uh, on both the Capes and the Panamaxes and the Supras. Um, Handy's still being supported by spillover from the very, very high container markets. But, you know, it, it, there's no denying that the, uh, the higher bunker prices are going are gonna to squeeze owners increasingly. Um, you've got to remember OPEX on a Cape, you know, just the daily running expenses, you're probably talking eight to $9,000. So, you know, we're already not that far above that um, on, on several of these routes. And also causing probably, you know, potentially regional buildup in areas because it's going to be even less of an impetus to move to areas to ballast because exactly, why would I pay exactly. that? Particularly on the big ships, you know, those long ballasts searching for cargo in Brazil um, are probably looking a lot less attractive and will continue to look a lot less attractive. So, yeah, do we see a tonnage buildup in the Pacific, which we already started to see last week? I think there's a very good chance of that, but let's see. There's been a lot of optimism around the positive economic benefits of return to work for many Chinese cities like Shanghai after COVID restrictions were relaxed last week. One market that was especially looking forward to this return was the oil market. The sentiment of resurgent Chinese demand has been built into prices and we and where the reasoning of predictions of prices rising even further towards $150 a barrel. However, the number of increasing cases in China is cause for concern again as any significant increase may trigger another damaging lockdown and then the knock-on effects of reduced demand. But in terms of the oil markets, it may be useful to look a little bit more at the context of the current situation. So if you're looking at world oil production, is around about 90 million barrels per day. Uh, this is below the pre-pandemic levels, but it has slowly been increasing from its low, which was in around June 2020. Of this total amount, some 41.2 million barrels per day of crude oil is being shipped across the world's oceans as we currently speak, crisscrossing the world's seas from suppliers to importers. But let's put a bit more context to those numbers. Assuming that all of these barrels are standard size, if you line them up all in a straight line, it would stretch, by my maths, uh, 23,710 kilometres, or just over halfway around the world. But where are these two main types of market participant? Who are these producers? Who are these consumers? Who is exporting? Who is importing? Well, if you're looking at uh, S&P Global Market Intelligence on their data, the top five exporting countries, this is obviously areas which are exporting oil, not necessarily producing. These aren't producing numbers. These are what is being exported by these areas. Uh, no surprise there that Saudi Arabia comes out top at 6.7 million barrels per day. Russia in second, 4.5 million. The USA, 3.2 million. Iraq, 3.1 million. And the UAE at 3 million. And then conversely, what about the top five discharge locations? What areas is this exported oil going to? Again, no surprises here. China, number one, 9 million barrels a day. India, 4.4. South Korea, 2.9. The USA, 2.7 million. And Japan, 2.6 million. There are, of course, challenges facing the market in each of these groups. Hence the concern for traders and the knock-on markets effects of, of other signs in terms of the supply chains and everyone else, the general economy. On the supply side, the absence of Russian oil supplies to many parts of the world is pushing up prices, as the remaining producers see demand for their supplies rise. And with oil production, it is not a situation where you can just easily turn on the tap and be able to replace lost production for such a big producer like Russia. On the demand side, however, the problems in China are causing market jitters. It will, of course, be a concern for producers who are quite happy to keep prices up at these levels. China, as such a big importer being the discharge location for almost as much as the next three countries combined. 
But if you start to look at some of the figures of what's been happening in China on a monthly basis, well, average daily discharges into China are now at their lowest levels this year, down over 22% on the average January discharges. The concern over a reintroduction of lockdown measures in Chinese cities could prolong the return of higher Chinese demand later into the year. And we've obviously got to keep watching what's happening in, in those figures. But if this does start to spread significantly again, it does seem the most likely outcome is another course of zero COVID policy and another lockdown, which will have its own economic impact there and will delay that return, which to some people who are consumers uh, of oil and really hurting these high levels may be a good thing. But for those obviously producers who are liking these high levels, that must be a concern and something that we'll be watching very closely. But who could be the saviour of this market? You know, who are the people turning to in order to deal with these supply issues? Well, it seems that many, especially in Europe, are looking across the Atlantic for their salvation. However, this might not be the sunny uplands of abundant shale oil production that we are led to believe. Despite the US government encouraging its domestic oil producers to increase production, they have not been having much impact on the total amount of American oil being put into the market. Since the decline at the beginning of the pandemic, US monthly oil production has not breached the 12 million barrels per day seen at the initial months of 2020 before we had those lockdowns, before we saw that big collapse in production and that price drop to negative levels on the WTI contract. If you then look at in terms of rig counts, US rig counts have been growing. They're, they have breached the 500 mark so far this year. However, this is a long way from the rig counts of over 1,500 that were seen in 2014. The FT reported that Moody's predicts that private operators will look to increase investment by 49% this year to try to grow output by 12%. Uh, but if you look at public companies, they are only expected to increase output by 3%. So if you're looking at this situation, you've got large number of producers with the problems with Russia, with all the sanctions, the political elements coming in and those top five dist- charge locations, China having seen those problems and potentially increased problems, you have quite a conundrum for people looking at these numbers, looking at this situation of where this is going to go. The only, I guess, sure sight is that there is significant risks here, significant problems that could be coming forward. And all those people looking to the US, you're looking at the rising gasoline prices and the cracks which are happening over there. And people will have a huge demand there for US for the driving season coming in. They are not going to be the silver bullet for the problems in this market going forward. And well, more consistently, not in the short term. They may in further and long term with this investment which was outlined. But looking forward, there's only risks coming forward. uh, And you're going to see a lot more volatility in that market going forward, I can see. But after looking at some of the numbers behind the current situation in the global oil market, now let's take a more specific look at the bunker market, the shipping fuel oil market. I have Ricky Foreman here, our oil broker at FIS, to discuss a bit more detail about what's been going on in this product market. Now, Ricky, the big movers and shakers in this and a spread which we've been looking at for a long time now has been the high five. And we've seen some pretty decent action in that going forward at the moment. Yeah, morning, Chris. Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously, the reports that we're hearing from the market um, is that the um, strength of the Sing.5 is really been gaining uh, momentum. Uh, That's also been reflected on the uh, front month spreads um, between the Junes and Julys and and Julys and August. Um, We're probably pegging the paper 
uh, high five front months at around $400 on the spread. Uh, we're hearing reports um, from the physical uh, suppliers that that spread real world is actually probably pushing closer to $500. Um, $500. And it's really been um, kind of a double whammy where the Sing.5 prices have gone up um, due to the oversupply um, from Russian cargoes um, on the Sing on the Sing 380 side of things, that's really helped um, depress the prices of 380. Hence, why that spread has started to blow out. And then, just to kind of explain to people who are not kind of so au fait with the uh, technicalities and the, the terms in this market, the Sing High Five is a market between the 0.5%, the very low sulfur fuel oil, and the high sulfur fuel oil market, which has come about because of scrubbers. And I guess scrubber users are pretty happy right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when um, when this spread came to the market obviously at the beginning of um 2020 um you know spreads were trading between the two and three hundred dollar mark um and it's been you know fairly volatile but what's gaining a lot of uh, attention now is the fact that um you know it has blown out to such a degree um and as mentioned it really is a case because um both products have been impacted um simultaneously and then to use another or look at another spread which has been moving about quite a bit, the east-west, that's obviously the difference, east, Singapore versus west, uh, European fuel markets, quite a good uh, peg that we use a lot in the kind of futures markets on this. Um, that's been moving, especially on the 380 spread, hasn't it? Yep, um, again, it, it's um, it's something that we, um, we, we track and keep an eye on. Um, there hasn't been um, a lot of opportunities, um, again, because of the plays by uh, Russia, to um, move cargoes either side, really. So obviously, the the market the market will say that that arbor is technically closed. And by technically closed, we're saying that well, what values we putting on the kind of the three eighty spread here now? Uh, well, this morning it's trading uh, between uh, five and seven dollars. And we have seen that trade negative as well, which is, I mean, I don't remember that having yeah. been done before. No, absolutely. And I, I think uh, within the last couple of weeks, as you say, that spread has been trading in negative territory. And I think it's fair to say that moving forward with all these plays that you mentioned with uh, surrounding Russia and being such a big supplier of high sulfur fuel oil as well as a generally high oil exporter that perhaps it's just a, a recalibration of the market with things going to areas which they might not necessarily have gone to before. Yeah, I, I think um, I think that's a fair comment. I mean, obviously we're seeing, um, you know, essentially new things happening in the market now as a result of the um, war with the Russia and Ukraine. Um, so it's uh, it's certainly um, new news to me on a, uh, on a lot of these spread prices. It's certainly not the norm, but then obviously the, the world hasn't really been normal for the last few months either. Finally this week, the market that was most excited about the reopening in China has to be the ferrous markets. But that optimism has had cold water poured onto it as the situation in China may turn sour again. I asked our senior analyst Hao Pei in our Shanghai office for an inside view of what's been going on. So how, with increasing cases of COVID-19 again in China, will we see another strict lockdown? I think uh, during this time, it's not possibly to... Uh for the government to start a massive or half city-wise lockdown, considering the recovery of economies. And we have a statistic indicating uh, Shanghai, uh, there are 9,472 enterprises above designated scale resumption rate reached 96%, utilization rate reached uh, 69% up 20% from the first week of June and expected to reach to pre-pandemic level. 
in the next few weeks. I think it depends on if the pandemic really spread again in another tier one city. If it is, unfortunately, then、uh, it's unavoidable to see another strict lockdown. If it is just spread out during some of the specific streets areas or some village or suburbs areas, then I think it's not possible to see a very general or wide、um, covered lockdown. With the low or even negative margins for steel mills,、uh, will the current trend of increasing steel demand help drag margins higher? I think the problem is almost 100% participants in this industry believe that there will be a huge rebound of steel consumption after Shanghai lift. But the reality is,、uh, if we look into some statistics,、uh, during the second week of June,、uh, construction steel trading volume on databases reached、uh, 149,000, while this number was 170,000 in the first week of June. And、uh, during the same period of previous years, this number was 170 to 180 thousand. So, which means the、uh, the sudden burst of demand wasn't really come as expected. As a result, the steel price fallen after、uh, falling with the data, which was less than expected. I think physical steels were quite cautious before and after the timestamp of Shanghai lift because. Mills were not seeing enough orders coming in. Plus, Shanghai's southern and mid-area cities were encountering prehistoric level of rainfall. Mills have to enter maintenance. The only hope to help mills out of negative conditions for the current、uh, for the coming two weeks was still rely on the cost control instead of running sales. But、uh, in the long run, I agree in Q3 when rainfall passed. The delayed projects need to rush to be finished, as many of the specialized government debts were required to spend 100% in August. So by then, they have to buy some materials. Coking coal prices have dropped, and iron ore has been fairly steady. Steady. Will this also help the steel industry? I think the coking coal drop wasn't able to fuel the quick rise of iron ore price for the last round we saw in late. May and early June, so unfortunately, no help last round. But as we saw, virtual steel margin was yearly and seasonally low at 300 yuan level this week, and physical、uh, blast furnace margin reached negative 100, and EAF margin reached、uh, negative 150. Both reached historical low area. I think mills were trying to use more discount iron ore and low grade iron ores, and spend costs saved from iron ore. Partially to buy primer coking coals overall can save some cost. That's why during this week we saw physical iron ore suffer the decrease, but coking coal from everywhere, from FOB Australia, FOB US, or West or domestic China, all enjoyed a moderate rebound after a streak of losses for past four weeks. That's it for this week. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the freight and commodity space, then sign up to our app FIS Live, or follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn. And have a great end to your week.